Hello friends, it's Bill Allen coming to you live from downtown Tyler, Texas on a very warm, uh, sunny, uh, partly cloudy Texas style uh, summer day. It's uh, uh, the middle of June, so it's Tyler, Texas, and it's supposed to be hot. And guess what it is? It is. I appreciate everyone hanging in there with me. I uh, wasn't able to have our study uh, last Thursday. I was out of town, and so uh, glad to be back at it today. Glad to have a few folks that will join us along the way, and maybe a few others that will see this uh, online on our westerwin.com uh, website under our social media and live streaming links under archives or on my Facebook page. Uh, after we're done, it'll be loaded there and also on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. Uh, any of those will will do, and you'll be able to link uh, to this message. And uh, hopefully, if you miss any of it or want to go back through some of the previous ones, you're welcome, uh, you're welcome to do that. It's great to see uh, some folks that are uh, uh, joining in. And uh, my good friend Lonnie Brown tells me that it, we have a chance of rain, actually, and so maybe it's not as sunny as Bill uh, thinks it is, but uh, glad to be back. Glad to have a few joining us and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing our study. I thought that since I have a few minutes here, as folks may be noticing, oh wow, it's back on, it's back on, uh, that I would do a little bit of reviewing. Uh, everybody is pretty familiar with the book of Acts, and uh, and so um, glad to be able to to do that study. Uh, good to see my friend Debbie Spears uh, chiming in, and uh, glad to have you, uh, one of my regulars, and always an encouragement to see your name makes me smile, um, and uh, glad to have you and appreciate your comments. Um, I In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus hasn't ascended yet, but he has been raised and has been uh, on this earth for a while longer still and uh, perhaps uh, a little over a month, 40 days. And he's uh, addressing his, uh, his followers, and he tells them, you'll receive uh, power from on high, and I want you to wait in Jerusalem until that happens. And, uh, and he says that uh, I'll have you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, in the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, um, certainly also we would include Galilee there where Jesus did so much of his ministry and then he says to the other to the rest of the world and that he would be with us Matthew 28 reminds us um, so we continue to uh, uh, go down through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1 and we find the uh, the followers of Jesus doing exactly what he told them to do which was to wait and to look uh, uh, up to the heavens and and pray 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 and certainly in our day and time, it is a call to prayer as well. Lots of difficulties in our world, some related to the uh, novel coronavirus that we've had uh, the struggles with in our world uh, for uh, uh, quite a few months now, and in our country and in our own communities, uh, the difficulties that we have as a nation that we're facing right now here in the United States and in our communities uh, related to uh, racial equality and related to our own uh, uh, structure and uh, trying to uh, enforce laws in a fair and just way and appreciate all of our law enforcement officers 
and the great work they do and the families that sacrifice so much uh, for that. And we look to our leaders, our civil uh, and political leaders, those who have been elected, those who have been appointed, those who advise them uh, related to all of those issues and all other issues. And we do what scripture tells us to do, which is pray for them and uh, pray for our, our nation and our world. And so we're doing a lot of that uh, these days. And I know that you are uh, as well. We certainly pray for our churches. And we see in Acts chapter 2, uh, the, the church beginning begins with a bang. It begins with uh, the great gift of the Holy Spirit uh, poured out in an extraordinary way upon the apostles. They begin to, um, they begin to, to pray. They begin to uh, uh, speak in other languages. They begin to preach. And people hear the gospel message for the first time of uh, salvation in the name of Jesus Christ who had been raised from the dead. Uh, we hear that great sermon from uh, the Apostle Peter, which is probably remin uh, exactly consistent with the sermons that all the others uh, were preaching as well that day. And 3,000 respond to the message to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that gift a little bit today when we turn to Acts chapter 5. Um, and in Acts chapter 3, the church continues to grow and serve. At the end of Acts 2, we see them devoted to the apostles' teaching or doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, this last lesson that we had in Acts chapters uh, 3 and 4, uh, the church begins to... Uh, uh, continue to do good, to heal, to preach, to serve, to give, and the religious leaders of the Jews don't appreciate that. And so they have the apostles arrested and they have them, um, uh, Peter and John, are threatened uh, that they cannot preach any longer in this name. And, uh, and there's no persecution yet, but we see that beginning uh, now in Acts, in Acts chapter 5. Uh, so with all of that being done, we, I see that my friends Eric and Cindy are here joining me. Also, Dolores Kennedy is here. Uh, it's wonderful to see a, a crowd gather. And um, uh, I appreciate everyone's participation in this and support and encouragement. It means a great deal to me. And I know that um, uh, this study uh, will continue to uh, go uh, throughout the summer. We'll finish the book of Acts by the time uh, we finish the summer. Uh, looking at covering about a chapter each time. We'll do a, a couple of chapters at times, such as uh, we did this last time. And uh, uh, today we'll uh, look at, uh, at chapter 5, which kind of uh, spins off of the end of chapter 4, as we'll see in just a moment. So a wonderful uh, medical missions nurse, Sherry Kretschmar, is here, has devoted so much of her life uh, to uh, Guatemala and to uh, uh, ministering to people there in the name of the Lord. What a wonderful sister uh, you are, Sherry. We all appreciate your work so very, very much. Um, so let's get to it then. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we read this interesting story. I just put a little blurb uh, out a few uh, minutes ago that the study would be going on today. And the little tagline on that was, uh, tune in and find out why you don't meet any twins who are named Ananias and uh, Sapphira. Uh, and that's what we're going to find out. My good friend Alan Cockrum from Arlington uh, Days is uh, uh, also chimed in on that one and commented about how we don't see very many Judases and Je Jezebels either. And that is certainly 
certainly true. Um, but the, in Acts chapter 5, we find uh, this story of Ananias uh, and Sapphira. Um, and so we'll read it in, in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So let's start stop there. And when you see something in Scripture that says, therefore, or also, or similarly, or something like that, uh, then obviously you're wanting to kind of read back a little bit and, and find out exactly what also happened. And in this case, he's talking about um, in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, which talks about how the believers at that time, church still very new, uh, had uh, all things in common. They did not think of anything as their own. They realized that it was everything they had was the possession of God and was to be used to his glory and to help and to serve uh, one another and others in the community. And, and that's what they did. When someone had a need, they helped. The church still does that today. When someone has a need, uh, we help. If it's a need within our own church family, we try to help. If it's a need within our neighborhood or even in other parts of the world, we, we do what we can uh, to help. We have uh, Our church here, West Irwin Church of Christ, has been deeply involved in, uh, in ministries such as disaster relief ministry that help uh, in different places uh, that are especially touched by tragedy and difficulty. And, and so many of our family help individually in ways that no one really knows about. And our church, of course, has a significant portion of our budget uh, that is given each year uh, for benevolence ministry. Our wonderful Donnie and Susie uh, Carnathan do such a great job with that, as does Davy and Sonia Carter and Galen and Margie Siegler and so many others that are involved in that ministry. We have lots of ladies that are there helping um, when before pandemic days on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Now we are still handing out some food uh, on uh, Wednesday mornings and uh, uh, our sewing ladies are getting together and helping sew for those who are in need. And we are hoping that somewhere down the line we'll be able to restore uh, the distribution of clothing as well. Um, our Caring Kitchen operates on every Monday night. Uh, our church and other churches of Christ here in this area participate in that great ministry that uh, is uh, done at our Benevolence Center every Monday night. So, you know, this is a church that is greatly committed to helping those in need within our own church family, within our own community, and, and far beyond. That's, that's what the church in the first century did. And Acts uh, chapter 2 at the end of the chapter and chapter 3, other places throughout the book of Acts remind us that that's exactly what, what they did. One of the first things that we'll read about the Apostle Paul after he becomes a Christian uh, partners with this man, Barnabas, that we read about and, and uh, go on a mission to help uh, those who are in need. Um, at the end of Acts chapter 4, as it describes the church doing that, it's, it, um, it, it names a name. It points out someone. In uh, Acts 4 verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Um, Barnabas, as I have been prone to say, uh, from our wonderful Woodland West Church in Arlington and our wonderful South Fork Church uh, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and now here uh, in uh, Tyler, 
just beginning this great encouragement card ministry. We've had to put that on hold because of the pandemic, but we're still encouraging nonetheless. Look forward to the time when we can start writing out those cards again. But uh, Barnabas is the guy that started the encouragement card ministry. Well, maybe not exactly, but he was a great encourager. In fact, they nicknamed him Son of Encouragement and because he was so, uh, so wonderful. And we, we read the stories of him later on in the book of Acts, befriending Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, who would become uh, the Apostle Paul. But long before then, uh, uh, before he was accepted by others, it was Barnabas who took him under his wing and vouched for him and, and risked his life, really, to, to take uh, Paul to uh, the others in Jerusalem and to show them that, yeah, this guy is on, on the level. And then joining uh, Paul on a benevolence mission in Acts chapter 11 and then on a mission trip in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, and so Barnabas was a, a great, great guy, and the church recognized it. And, um, and so that leads us to chapter 5. Again, um, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Barnabas sold his property, brought the money, uh, gave it to the apostles, said, do with it what you want. And, and everyone made a pretty big deal about it because it was, it, was a, it was a big deal. In just a moment, we'll talk about that scripture from Matthew 6 where Jesus says, don't, uh, you know, don't do your uh, giving and praying and fasting just to be seen by others. Well, clearly Barnabas didn't do it that way, but his gift was known. And I think it's okay at times for that gift to be known, so long as you're not doing it for the glory, but maybe it's uh, an example that others, others can follow. We see that in Barnabas at the end of Acts chapter 4, but Ananias and Sapphira have a different heart about them. And so they too sell a piece of property. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, Acts 5, verse 2. Uh, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now we're going to be introduced to another man by the name of Ananias uh, in Acts chapter 9. He's the guy that God calls, a Christian man, to go and talk to Saul of Tarsus, who had been the point man for the Jews to persecute the church. And yet he had had that Damascus Road experience, and now he was in the city of Damascus, as was Ananias, and praying and fasting for three days, uh, and blinded by the wonderful uh, experience he had, seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus and hearing his, uh, his words, and being told to wait, to go into the city, and uh, that uh, he would receive the answer to his question which was, what, what do I do? I believe that I've done wrong. I believe you're the son of God. What do I do? And Jesus told him to go into the city and wait. And it was this Ananias, not this Ananias in Acts 5, as you're going to see, but the Ananias of Acts 9, who goes to, uh, is called to go to Saul of Tarsus and to share with him the message Jesus had for him, which first of all involved him being baptized into Christ. That was the answer to his question, what do I do? Uh, there is a response of faith, and that response of faith includes believing and repenting. Certainly Saul of Tarsus did that. I mean, he saw the resurrected Lord. He heard him say, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Uh, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, Paul himself shares as he recounts this story in Acts 26. Um, and, and yet there was still more for him to do. 
Ananias is the guy that brings him that message in Acts chapter 9. And then as Paul recounts it in Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias tells Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. Even though he had seen the resurrected Lord, even though he had been blinded for three days and three nights, that he spent praying and fasting, obviously he repented. There was still more for him to do. Didn't mean he earned his salvation any more than if he just believed uh, and was saved. But he believed, he repented. Uh, obviously, he confessed his sins before the Lord and, uh, and I'm sure before Ananias when he came to him. And Ananias tells him, um, get up and be baptized and wash those sins away. Um, that was a different Ananias. This is an Ananias who's uh, wife was Sapphira, and he, they sold some property. They both knew how much. They both knew that they were going to uh, hold some of it back, which in and of itself, not a problem. Uh, but what we're going to see is a heart that was uh, the problem. And so Ananias brings the rest uh, of the money other than what he held back and put it at the apostles' feet. Acts 5, verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? So here's the problem. It wasn't that he kept some of it back for himself and for his own needs and his family. That's okay. That's what everyone does, basically. Uh, but what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, as we'll see in a moment, that was different is that they claimed that this was everything, that they were looking for the kind of accolades that came to Barnabas, but their heart was different. Would have been perfectly fine had they held that money back, came to the apostles and said, look, we sold some land, here's 50%, 75%, 20%, whatever, of that money uh, to help the poor. That would have been great. That would have been great, but that's not what they did. That's not what they did. Um, uh, Peter said, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Acts 5, verse 4. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And I want to come back to that in just a moment, because in one sense, Peter tells him, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and now he says, you have lied to God. And so I think there's some things that we can talk about in this passage that have to do with the Trinity, the nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Uh, yeah. Then the young man, men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7. We'll come back to that. Verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Here's a moment where she can tell the truth or she can lie. She can show that she has a heart that is about helping others and giving back to God. Obviously, members of the church obviously been baptized, obviously had 
come to know this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the blood and sacrifice that he gave for us. She had a chance here. She could have said, you know, it, that's not completely true. But that's not what she did. Um, Tell me, Peter asked her, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Verse 9, Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Again, the spirit now. Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about those events. You know, again, when, when someone is struck dead by the Lord, it's, it's a time to remember and reverence the greatness and the power and the holiness of God and to be reminded, this God expects us to be holy. This God expects us to be, to be righteous. He knows we're not going to do that perfectly. Uh, but he is not going to accept us if our hearts are in the wrong place. And I think that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. Why, why Bill, uh, this is a great question that you might ask me, why, Bill, would God strike Ananias and Sapphira dead and, and not others? We're going to read a story about a, a sorcerer named Simon in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 who, who is... Uh, a guy that everybody thought was a big deal, but when Philip, a Christian, comes down uh, to Samaria from uh, Jerusalem, being scattered because of the persecution that Saul of Tarsus is going to lead, um, he sees what Philip is doing, and he realizes it's the real thing. And, and so he follows Philip around after becoming a Christian himself, and many others in Samaria are as well. And then, and then the, the elders at Jerusalem send down Peter and John, uh, two apostles, and they uh, give the gift of the Holy Spirit by laying on their hands. And, the, the, you know, why wouldn't Philip do that? Well, Philip wasn't an apostle. We're going to be introduced to him uh, in Acts chapter 6, but he's an evangelist. He's a Christian disciple who obviously was wanting to share the story that meant so much to him, but he couldn't give that gift. It was Peter and John who could, and Simon understood that. And so he offers them money. <laughs> he offers them money and says, look, let me have that special power. He doesn't want to just do the things that Philip does. He wants to be able to give to others that gift. And Peter rebukes him and says, you have no part in this. This is, this is not your role. This is not the gift that you've been given from God. This is for the apostles. And Simon says, um, pray to the Lord for me. Peter tells him to repent. Uh, Simon tells him, pray for me, that none of the things that you've said will happen to me. Well, how come Simon got that chance and not Ananias and Sapphira? And I can honestly tell you, I don't know the answer to that completely. Um, why is it that Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament were struck dead by the Lord? Sons of Aaron the priest, the brother of Moses, and yet they were struck dead by the Lord because they... Uh, offered up this strange unauthorized fire. They didn't follow the the command of the Lord and His holiness. Um, I, and other examples in scriptures, you know, why wasn't King David struck dead when he had that great and horrible sin with Bathsheba? Um, uh, others 
so many examples in scripture that you could say what this seems inconsistent and unfair and on the surface it is inconsistent and we i can tell you that as a human being with limited knowledge uh, i don't know i don't know why that is but we can say that there that god does and that god is holy and just and he's got his reasons obviously he wanted to make a an important statement to this church in its infancy just like he did in aaron's day with nadab and abihu where the priesthood was in its infancy aaron was the first priest uh, his sons would follow in his footsteps and his sons after nadab and abihu would get the message and hopefully others would as well although not all did and that's the only thing i can think of is that two things number one god needed to send a strong message to the church this new church about his holiness and the importance of obedience but also i think it tells us something about ananias and sapphira and their their hearts uh, obviously their hearts were far away from god they were they were doing exactly what jesus condemned in matthew chapter 6 when he said don't do your acts of righteousness just to be seen by others and then again he gives three examples uh giving and praying and fasting and he tells them look don't other people don't have to know about those things and if that's why you're doing it that's not right again i don't think that says that other people can't know i think it's important sometimes for others to know about that whether it's for accountability reasons or uh, just to encourage others to be involved uh, we had a 40 days of prayer recently for uh, our our nation as we went through uh, this the beginning stages of this pandemic and for healthcare workers and for the rest of the world and for those who were suffering uh, and for our church uh, uh, we are in need of prayer still as we see the difficulties that that we're facing and 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 it's okay for others to know that that you're praying because if if that's not why you're doing it it's okay to give them encouragement to join you in prayer and i think you know here as we saw the example of barnabas it's the same thing barnabas didn't do that simply to receive uh, glory and praise he did it from a heart that was a servant's heart obviously ananias and sapphira that wasn't their motivation and so they were condemned and they were struck dead uh, for it um, Later on, uh, as Paul preaches in Acts chapter 20 in the city of, of Troas, it's in the evening, uh, they have the Lord's Supper, and Paul continues to preach, and he preaches on and on and on and on till midnight. And, uh, and this young man by the name of Eutychus is sitting in a window upstairs, and he falls out uh, and, uh, and, and dies, basically. Um, you know, which as a preacher, you fall asleep in church you know those things happen you know what can i say you you know there our actions have consequences but you know i'm teasing of course and eutychus paul goes down and he heals him and raises him um and uh and why why didn't he just leave him there to die and then everyone would know how serious it is to fall asleep during sermons um but that that wasn't the the needed message that day and this young man had a heart that wasn't in the same place, I think. Obviously, only God knows hearts and motives, but I think his heart uh, was in a different place than Ananias and Sapphira. And mercy triumphs over judgment. In this case, with Ananias and Sapphira, there was a strong message 
that needed to be sent. And I hope it's a message that we get as well. Um, a reminder that uh, our trusting faith calls us to live obedient lives. In just a little bit in Acts chapter 5, we're going to read about how uh, the early disciples lived that out, and it had an impact on their community, and I think that's what's going on um, here. Um, Ananias and Sapphira continue that, and you know, we, we read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this, this great extended passage on giving. And clearly that, that uh, is a passage that says, look, you're not expected to give more than you can. You're not expected to give what you don't have. Uh, you're not expected to give that in a way that would put you in, in dire straits right now in our um, economy that's been hit hard by um, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. One of the things that we tell people is, look, we're, you know, our church has taken a hit too. Our families have taken a hit, many of them. And so we tell people, look, if you, if you have a little bit extra then, and you're sitting okay, then, then give extra because the church needs it right now. If you're in a place where maybe you've lost your job, maybe your wages or hours have been cut and you're finding yourself in need, then, then only give according to what you need. Maybe some of our folks can't give as they had purposed in their heart and, and had decided at the beginning of, of 2020, but uh, whose plans have <laughs> come through in 2020? Everything is different. It's a whole different world. And so all the goals and all the plans and all the purposing that you might have done the beginning of this year just kind of went away when uh, everything shut down in March. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't give some. And, and so some are giving and some are needing to be helped. And if that's the case, then we certainly want you to contact our church or your church because that's what we're supposed to do as, as the first century church gives us the example. Uh, and so um, Ananias and Sapphira would have been fine holding some of that back and letting them know this isn't all of it. We don't want to give you that impression, but we did keep some of it back for our own needs. But we want to give this to, the, to help those who are in need. That would have been perfectly fine. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 17 through 19, Paul instructs Timothy, the, his young protege, uh, and he tells him, look, counsel those who are wealthy and rich uh, to not put their hope in wealth, to be willing to give and to share. Uh, to hold on to their, their things with an open hand that's willing, willing to share it. Um, and, and so that, that's the way it, it should be. If you can give extravagant or, or a, a big amounts, great, but most can't. And so we, we give, as those principles laid out in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 tell us, we give to demonstrate our trust in God, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, considering the lilies of the field, um, and the, the birds of the air and how God takes care of them, knowing that God will take care of us uh, as well. Um, and so all of those things factor in here uh, to this, to this uh, incident that happens here uh, in Acts uh, chapter 5. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks to that rich young ruler, and here was a man whose materialism had eaten away at his heart, and he was... Uh, going to Jesus and asking him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus names off some of the commandments, and the man says, hey, I, I do all those things. I've done them since I was a kid. And, and Jesus looked at him and loved him, Luke's version of the story says. And, and he tells him, well, go and sell everything you have and come back and follow me. 
Um, Jesus doesn't tell that to everybody, but I tell you, whatever it is that's standing between you and the Lord, Jesus is going to tell you, you need to give that up. You need to take that wall down, take that barrier down, so that you can follow me wholeheartedly. And whatever it is that's keeping you, if it's money, if it's a relationship, if it's uh, some other thing that's so important to you that's a part of this world that you have let it take the place of Christ in your heart, Jesus is going to challenge you to, to uh, get that away and to change that. That's what he challenged that rich young man with for Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, their hearts were far away from God. And, um, and, and so their lives were taken. I mentioned the Trinity, you know, that, that doctrine about the nature of God, how God is Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, and I think this passage helps us to understand that. Because in one sense, uh, in one case, in verse 4, uh, Peter says they have lied to God. Uh, but in, in verse 9, Peter challenges them, why would you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Uh, earlier, at the very beginning, in verse 3, Peter had said, you know, why would you lie uh, to the Holy Spirit? And so for Peter, lying to God, the Father, is the same as lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that teaching of the Trinity. That word is never used in Scripture, uh, the word the Trinity. But it helps us to remember that in Scripture, uh, the nature of God is seen as Father, Son, and Spirit. We're reminded in John 1, Jesus uh, is described as the Word that would become flesh in verse 14. But at the very beginning, in those first few verses, the Apostle John, as he opens up his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself was um, condemned because uh, they saw him as being a man who made himself to be God, and Jesus did not deny that. And he accepted people's worship, and he accepted that title of Son of God, and it cost him his life. Uh, and so we see that throughout Scripture where we see several instances of, of that. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, there's this great passage that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it attributes those gifts, those miraculous gifts, to God the Father and to God the Son and to God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18 is another passage that specifically mentions Father, Son, and Spirit uh, in that context. We're reminded of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3 uh, when we see the uh, God the Father and the voice that comes down from heaven, uh, God the Son, the person of Jesus of Nazareth, as John the Baptist baptizes him, and also God the Spirit in the form of a dove uh, that comes down. And, and, and so we get, we get that teaching. And yeah, it's mysterious, and no, I don't pretend to understand everything about it, but I believe that God in his nature is Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why in the very beginning in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our own image, using that first person plural. And I believe that the us there is Father, Son, and Spirit. At the end of the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us and tells his disciples there at the time uh, to go into all the world 
um, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. But we know that he is about to ascend. But what he had told his disciples in those last few chapters of John, in John 13 uh, through 7, 16, he had told them, I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate, who will be my presence with you. And that gift was given in Acts 2, when Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's that indwelling presence of Christ through his Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that uh, mentioned here. We see it in 2 Corinthians 1 and in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 3 where it speaks about that nature of God. But especially in Ephesians 1 and 2 Corinthians 1 when it talks about the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as an earnest, as a little part of that great blessing we'll have uh, spending eternity with God. Um, and so this is such a powerful, powerful passage and a powerful, powerful subject. And again, I don't know all the answers. I just know that I believe that there's a part of the nature of God that lives inside me and lives inside everyone who has been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, that will carry us forward and will give us direction and conviction and remind us of the presence of, uh, of God, remind us of the presence of Jesus Christ and help us as we seek to live our lives in accordance with God's word, this scripture that we're going through here in the book of Acts. Um, and so we continue on in verse 11 in Acts 5, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events, but don't think that that meant that the church didn't grow. As we'll see in the verses that follow, verse 12 of Acts 5, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade there in the temple area. Um, they haven't been chased out of Jerusalem just yet. That will come in Acts chapter 8. Uh, no one else dared join them, verse 13, uh, even though they were highly regarded by the people. And so there's great fear because of the reverence for this God who would strike someone dead uh, for committing such uh, uh, horrible sins as Ananias and Sapphira did. Uh, they're afraid to join them. Uh, many were because of, of this important uh, God who would be taken seriously and must be obeyed. Nevertheless, verse 14 of Acts 5, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So yes, on the one hand, great fear and reverence uh, for this powerful, mighty God, but also uh, a, a great appreciation for the call of salvation. They were cut to the heart, just like they were in Acts 2 at the very beginning. Uh, they were asking, what do we do? And they were being told the same message, as we'll see, consistent throughout the book of Acts, uh, to believe and repent and confess and be baptized in the name of this resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. More and more were doing that. And we see some indications as to one of the reasons why, as we read on in Acts 5, verse 15. As a result, 
People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. I shared some things before about this, these miraculous gifts, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see them uh, consistent throughout the book of Acts. We read about them in passages such as 1 Corinthians 12 that we mentioned earlier. And so again, sometimes I'm asked, well, what about miraculous gifts like these today? Uh, are they still around, Bill? And I know people have stories, and I'm not going to question those stories. I don't know if they're true or not. I, I don't know if they're from the Lord or not. I can tell you that if they contradict what's in this book right here, this Bible, then they're not from the Lord. Uh, Moses even tells us in Deuteronomy 13 that if uh, someone gives some prophecy and, and it comes to pass, but they tell you to follow a different God other than the one that's described in this Bible, then they are to be accursed. Um, and so we know that it's got to be consistent with Scripture. But if there's a story out there of some miraculous thing that happened, I don't, I don't have to prove or disprove it. All I can say is, does it help you follow the Word of God more closely? Uh, and, and if the answer to that is yes, then I'm thinking it's a good thing. If the answer to that is no, then I'm thinking it's taking you away from what the Word of God tells you to do. Um, and, and, but when you ask about miraculous gifts today and, oh, somebody's doing this or someone's doing that, no one is doing anything like what we read in the book of Acts. I mean, Peter's shadow, if it fell over someone who was uh, ill and was there at the side of the road and Peter walks by him and his shadow falls on them, they are healed. There's nothing like that happening uh, today. There's nothing like what went on in the days of Jesus, and we mentioned that as we were going through our study of the book of Matthew. And so I, there are some things I can't explain. I get that. Uh, but I don't have to. I don't have to prove or disprove them. My question is, is it consistent with God's Word? Because if they're telling you to do something other than what Scripture teaches, then it's not from God. It's that simple. Um, and so there's all kinds of other explanations. Um, but what we find is that after this first century, after the time when the apostles die out, and the ones that they have been able to lay their hands on to give these incredible, extraordinary, miraculous gifts, once they have passed on, we don't see this kind of thing happening ever, ever again. Um, we'll see more about that when we get to Acts chapter 8. Um, okay, so we keep, uh, we keep reading. Interestingly enough, all the good deeds that they were doing were bringing people to the Lord. Jesus tells us in Acts 5 to let our light shine before others uh, so that they may see our good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 2 verse 10 and Titus 3 verse 8. To devote ourselves to doing what is good. We are God's creation, God's workmanship, created to do good deeds uh, so that others will see what is being done and will not glorify us uh, like Ananias and Sapphira wanted, but will glorify God just like Barnabas wanted. That's our goal as well. And, and it was working. People were coming, even though there was great fear, and as we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, even though this early church begins to be persecuted, 
people have to suffer for their faith, but they refuse to give up on it. They would rather die than to disobey God. And I think that's one of the great witnesses that adds credibility to this message, that these uh, apostles and others who uh, left Jesus at the cross are now willing to preach his word, even though they've been threatened to stop, they're now willing to preach his word and to suffer for it and ultimately be killed for it um, as well. Uh, we'll keep going in Acts chapter 5 and introduce ourselves to this first moment of persecution, which will continue on throughout the book of Acts, including in Acts chapter 6 and 7 with the first Christian martyr who was Stephen. Verse 17 of Acts 5, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, remember they didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, that sect of the Jews, and so they're especially going to be trying to sweep this whole movement under the rug. Um, we continue on. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Remember, they had already been arrested and been warned, don't preach anymore in this name. And they had, they had told them, look, you decide whether it's better to obey men rather than God. We're going to obey God, even if we have to pay a price. Um, and so now they arrest them again, all the apostles. Uh, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. A similar thing is going to happen uh, to Peter in Acts chapter 12. Go, stand in the temple courts, this angel said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. And, and they obey. But the story is pretty funny as it comes to light in the light of day that they're no longer behind bars in jail. Now they've been released even though no prison door is unlocked. Verse 21, at daybreak, the, the Jewish leaders entered the temple courts, or the, the apostles rather, entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. No one knows yet that they're not there. <laughs> But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people, which is amazing. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. So they arrest them again, a second time. They had just arrested them the day before, but miraculously they are released, even though the prison locks are untouched, the guards still there. And then at day, when daylight comes, they begin to preach again, just as they had before. And now they're rearrested. Verse 27, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. It began with Peter's sermon that Luke records in Acts 2. You killed him. God raised him. And now he is Lord of all. And you are being called to repent. Um, that's been the message the whole time, and it will continue to be the message. 
Verse 29 of Acts 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on the tree. Even though they had just angrily told them, Stop making us guilty of this man's blood, Peter tells them, You're guilty of this man's blood. You did this. You did this, but God raised him. Um, you had killed him by hanging on a tree. God raised Jesus from the dead. God exalted him, verse 31, to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Again, you killed him, God raised him, he made him Lord of all, and now we see this. He is calling us to repentance, just as he said he would, and we are witnesses of these things. Again, they couldn't discredit it any more than they could discredit the miracle that, that Peter and John did when they healed that lame man in Acts chapter 3. Why? Because he's standing right there and everybody saw him. The people of this generation, again, not long after the events of, the, of that uh, resurrection weekend happened, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus still in the same city of Jerusalem, they can't go to the tomb and produce the body. They can't disprove the things they're saying. Um, because it's, it's got the credibility of eyewitnesses. We saw him dead. We have seen him alive. And now God has also given the Holy Spirit, again, as, a, as an extraordinary message and confirmation of this new gospel that's being preached. Verse 34, when the Jewish leaders heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, we'll find out that this man likely was the one who taught Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, he was a Pharisee and a scribe, uh, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Let's talk this out for a moment, shall we? Then he addressed the men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, he was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, not Judas Iscariot, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only uh, find yourselves fighting against God. You see, that's the difference between Jesus and these others. He wasn't the only one who claimed to be the Messiah. He wasn't the only one who tried to get followers after himself. But he was the only one that was raised from the dead. And that's the difference. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It stands or falls on the empty tomb. Paul makes that exact point in 1 Corinthians 15. It is the centerpiece of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And what gives it credibility are the witnesses. He stayed here for 40 days in this world as a resurrected man. He appeared to many, many people, including these apostles. Um, and Gamaliel tells them, look, we've been down this road before. If it's, if it's all made up, then you can't, it'll, it'll, it'll fizzle out. 
But if it's from God, then you're, you're not going to win. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. More than just beating, but a flogging. Uh, the Jews had special laws so that you couldn't be flogged uh, a, a certain number of times. More than, you couldn't be flogged more than 40 times, so they stopped at 39. And it was a horrible, horrible punishment with not just a rod, but uh, uh, some kind of chain that had uh, uh, horrible things in them that would cause the, the beating to be that much worse. And this is the first instance of actual persecution. They had been threatened, and now they're being threatened again, but this time it's got teeth in it. This time they're saying, look, we're, we're going to come through on this. We told you not to do this, and so they flog them, they punish them. And we understand that, that uh, these are the same rulers, the same Jewish leaders who had Jesus crucified. And so when they say, we can punish you, we can put you to death, it's true. That prayer at the end of Acts chapter uh, uh, 4, uh, after they had been uh, threatened, uh, tells, tells us everything we need to know that, that, Lord, this is a real threat. It's not something that we take lightly, but we are going to obey you and we know that you will deliver us whether it happens or not. God didn't deliver them from suffering on this day. He didn't deliver them from being arrested. He didn't deliver them from being jailed. And he didn't deliver them from being beaten and punished. Um, and we're reminded that what they prayed for was not to be kept safe. What they prayed for was that they would, no matter the consequences, continue to speak the word boldly. That's a very courageous prayer of faith. And I think as our world and as our own nation continues to become more and more secularized, it seems, and continues to leave some of the Judeo-Christian values and that appreciation uh, for the, uh, the things that Christianity has stood for and the contributions that Christians and the church, those who name the name of Christ, have done in, in the communities and in society, we realize that we may be forced to pay a price for our faith too. And the question is, will, be, will we be willing to do it? Will we have the reaction that these apostles did, that this early church did? The apostles left the Sanhedrin, verse 41, after being flogged, after being threatened, and after being ordered, commanded not to preach anymore in the name of Christ. The apostles left the council rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And that doesn't mean that they were masochists. It doesn't mean that they were glad they had to suffer. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, James would say later on, uh, consider it joy when you have to suffer trials and are persecuted because of the name of Christ. Not in a masochistic way, but in a way that says, you know, the Lord suffered for me. And so if I have to suffer for him, then so be it. Paul from prison, from jail, would write, probably in Rome, would write four epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, the prison epistles. And in one of those, in Philippians chapter 4, he would write these great words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Even though he's writing from prison himself, um, he tells us to rejoice. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, verse 41, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy 
of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the message that had them, um, that had them arrested, that had them jailed, that had them beaten and flogged. And yet it says they never stopped teaching. They never stopped teaching. Uh, even though it says you'll be persecuted, even though they say, you keep doing this, we're going to punish you. Even though they knew they had put Jesus himself to death. Now they know that they are not afraid to punish them. Uh, they still will not uh, stop teaching and preaching in the name of Christ. Why? Because the message is too good. It's too good to keep to yourself. And the same is true today. We are called to be witnesses as well. No, we haven't physically seen the resurrected Lord but we can share what Scripture has said about those who did, and we can also share what Scripture says is, is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the response of faith, uh, believing in Jesus that he lived and that he died and that he rose and that he lives again and will come again, uh, repenting, changing our lives to be, be in line with what he wants, not what I want, not what makes me happy, not what makes me feel good. Believe me, the... The apostles, it didn't make them feel good to be beaten like that. Um, but they knew it was the will of God. Uh, and they, they were willing to suffer, even for the sake of Christ. Confessing that faith and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, that's what we're called to share, to believe, to obey, and now to teach and to preach to others. The disciples did that in spite of the cause. They did that in spite of the threats. And we are called uh, to do the same. We see in the book of Acts that the teaching and the preaching and the persecution would continue. And again, when we get to Acts chapter 6, we find the first big potential fight within the church, the first big potential split, interestingly enough, that has racial overtones in it. We see seven men chosen, one of them, Philip, as we mentioned, who will be a great evangelist, have children, daughters who prophesy. And another of those mentioned, the man Stephen, who becomes a great and powerful preacher of the gospel, but who is himself arrested, uh, but not really arrested. Uh, there's no trial. There's no uh, appeal. Um, instead, it's a mob that stones him to death. And this Stephen that we'll read about uh, in Acts chapter 6 and hear his sermon in Acts chapter 7 and read of his death at the end of Acts 7 becomes the first Christian martyr. And yet, how does this chapter end? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. May that be said of us as well. Uh, God bless you. I will see you Thursday at 4 p.m., and I hope that you'll join me, and I hope that you'll tell somebody about this little study, because we'll be in Acts chapters 6 and 7 on Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. God bless.